Thanks, Wilson. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I kind of buy into that thank you for no snow this morning, too. It's getting old. Hey, if you were here last week, you know, I talked about strongholds. And uh, I just uh, want to review that briefly because it's a pretty important concept. But um, a stronghold, you, you, you can picture a stronghold's a military term. It pictures uh, an area that is uh, held in an entrenched way by the enemy. It's going to be hard to get them out of that spot because they've established themselves in that place. That's a stronghold militarily. And in the Bible, the term stronghold is used to refer to areas in our lives, in our hearts, where the enemy has kind of entrenched some, some stuff so that it's an area that we, uh, maybe an area of constant fear, an area where we're constantly uh, fearful or an area of constant ongoing defeat in my life. That would be a stronghold or an area where there is repeated failure in my life. That would be a stronghold. And those strongholds are almost always based upon wrong beliefs about who God is, about how God treats us, about what God's will is for us, about who we are in Christ, about the authority we have, about what it means to be a believer. It's almost always based on misunderstandings that cause us to believe certain things and embrace certain wrong beliefs that leads us to fear and failure and doubt and other, other types of a heartache in life. Now, the thing about a stronghold that uh, any one of us might have in our lives, it gives the enemy access to attack us. It gives the enemy access to attack us. And so we want to deal with strongholds in our lives. And there are ways to deal with strongholds in our lives. There's an illustration, in fact, in the Old Testament. I, I, went, I read this story last week. Uh, but there was a man named Jonathan in the Old Testament, young man. His father was named Saul. Uh, Saul was the first king of Israel. When Saul became king of Israel, Israel had been enslaved by the Philistines for, uh, for uh, decades and decades. There were adults that would never remember a time when the Philistines didn't dominate the nation of Israel and uh, literally enslaved them. And so Saul now becomes king of Israel, and it is Saul's first duty to free the nation of Israel from the domination of the Philistines. And so Saul goes out to battle uh, with his army. He musters his men, and he takes an army out into the field, and the Philistine army comes out into the field, and they're encamped a few miles away from each other. And they are each strategizing. They're going through this period of time where the leaders of each of these armies are trying to figure out what the other one's doing. When are they going to attack? When should we attack? Uh, do we have enough men to overcome them? Where are they? You know, all of those details about war. They're, they're having war councils. Now, this is going bad for Israel because the longer they wait, the more discouraged their troops become. And the longer they wait to attack, uh, they have, they're having mass desertions, and they're even having defections. There are even people uh, from the army of Israel that are defecting to the enemy, to the Philistine army. And so this is just going on, and, there, and there's no movement at all, until one day, this young man, Jonathan, steps out, 
And he and his armor bearer, he says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go find some Philistines. You know, I'm tired of waiting. Let's go do something. And they find themselves at the foot of a steep hill in a ravine. And at the top of that hill, in, in the Bible, it calls it a cliff. At the top of that cliff is a Philistine outpost, a stronghold. There are at least 20 men there. We know that because later Jonathan kills 20 of them. I'm going to guess there are a lot more there than 20. I'm going to guess there are 30, 40, maybe 50 there. Because as this battle starts uh, and, and God begins to, to uh, release his presence into the, into the situation, the Philistines start to flee. So this is a stronghold, and there are only two of them at the foot of this hill. Now, Jonathan asked God to show him whether or not they were supposed to attack. And God clearly told Jonathan to attack this Philistine outpost. And so Jonathan scales this cliff. It says he had, he had to use his hands as well as his feet to scale this cliff. It was so steep. And he engages the Philistines in battle. And in half an acre's space, he kills 20 men in very close, ferocious combat. Now, what happens next is the most astounding thing in the entire story. I think even more astounding than the fact that Jonathan was willing to climb up the side of that hill and fight. Uh, Even more astounding than the fact that his armor bearer was willing to go with him and said, you know, my heart and soul's with you. Whatever you decide, I will go. We'll do it. Even more astounding than the fact that Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 hardened enemy troops in one brief battle, even more astounding than that. What happens next is God's power, the the presence of God's kingdom is released over this entire battlefield for miles and miles around. There are patrols out miles away. They have no idea what happened between Jonathan and this little outpost, this stronghold that he had overcome. They don't even know about that. But all of a sudden, they're impacted because God's presence was released into the entire battlefield. Now, what God's presence did to the Philistines was to cause panic and fear. Panic and fear. So three miles away, that patrol that is, is, is going out, they are suddenly overcome with this sense of terror. They don't know why. They don't know where it came from. All they know is they've got to run. And the troops back in the main camp They have no idea what's happening. All they know is suddenly they're terrified and suddenly they're panicking and they're afraid and they run. And as they run, they even begin to fight among themselves. Well, at the same time, on the other side of the battlefield, miles away, people that don't have any idea at this point what Jonathan did, they are starting to become emboldened and they're, they're, they're receiving strength and they're saying, we can win this battle. We can win this fight. And so the whole army of Israel is emboldened while at the same time the army of the Philistines is disheartened and panicked. The, the deserters, those that were, had gone out and hidden in caves and in uh, and, and, and little, little places that they could, they could hide themselves away in, they're coming out and rejoining the army. And it says even the defectors, those who had gone over to the Philistine camp, Something happened in their hearts, and they came back to join uh, the army of Israel. It is a powerful, powerful illustration of how quickly things can change when a stronghold's taken down. 
When we recognize a stronghold and we correct it, we recognize a stronghold. First thing in, in, um, in being freed from a stronghold is to recognize it. Jonathan had to find them. He went out, he said, let's go find some Philistines. He had to find the outpost, that stronghold first. And then you have to, you have to identify what it is. If I have a stronghold of fear in my heart, which is a very common stronghold in our culture, and if I, if I have a stronghold of fear of what's going to happen to my children, let's say, and when my children are out of my sight, I just, I just have this panicky feeling, and I want to I get, get them back under my care so I can make sure nothing happens to them. I need to identify that. I need to recognize that. I need to call it out, identify it, what it is. This isn't right. I shouldn't fear like this. I, sh- I need to be trusting God. Call it out. We need to recognize it. And in the New Testament, as, as the New Testament talks about strongholds, I need to confess it. I just need to say, God, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid over this, and I want you to show me the root of it so that I can break it. And God reveals the root to us. He reveals some point in time when something happened, and at that moment in time, I made a decision. And I said, well, I'll never, I'll never come that close to trouble again. Or in some cases, uh, relationally, I'll never, I, I, I will never allow myself to be hurt again. You know, and I'll close my heart off. I won't open my heart up. I won't allow myself to be hurt. That would be a stronghold. We recognize that stronghold, where it comes from. We repent of it. And then we take action. And when we take action, that stronghold is broken. You see, these, these illustrations in the Old Testament, all these stories in the Old Testament, they are pictures of spiritual realities that you and I face in this New Testament era. In this era where Jesus has come, he has died on the cross, he has been risen, resurrected, he has ascended to the Father, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit. In this era, these pictures from the Old Testament illustrate for us how we need to deal with things today. And so just as there were physical strongholds in the Old Testament era, there are spiritual strongholds that you and I need to face today and we need to defeat. Now, that doesn't mean that in the Old Testament there wasn't a spiritual element to the whole thing. I mean, obviously, uh, the Holy Spirit came down, the kingdom of God was revealed. But it, 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 um, it, today, it, what Jonathan did illustrates for us how we deal with things in our own hearts in our family's life, in our church's life, because a church body has a corporate heart. So just as individuals can have strongholds, so a church body can have a stronghold. So a culture can have a stronghold. And it's the call of God's people to break those strongholds so that we can live in freedom. Because that battle that Jonathan was, was fighting, it was all about freedom. I mean, the freedom of the nation of Israel was on the line when he charged up that hill, when he crawled up that hill and engaged uh, with the enemy as he did. Now, the biggest thing about this is Jonathan heard God speak and he believed God was enough. He believed that there was enough. He believed there was more than enough. While the other soldiers and officers were back in the camps trying to decide if there was enough, trying to decide if they could succeed, if they could win this battle, while they were back there doing that, Jonathan was out there saying, well, if God's telling me to do this, I'm going to do it, and God's going to back me up. God will back up my play because he's leading me 
into this. There's a verse in the New Testament that says very clearly, if God is for us, then who can be against us? You know, if God's for me, if God's for you, and he is, he, you know how he proves that? He sent his son Jesus to die for you. If nothing else, that proves that God's for you. And then his son Jesus rose from the dead, and he sends the Holy Spirit to live in the believer. And so if God is for you, then who can be against you? No one. If God's for me, who can be against me? Shortly after I became a believer, this older pastor, um, one time I remember, told me this, and many of you have heard this, I'm sure. But he said, any individual plus God equals a majority. Okay, you get that? Any individual plus God equals a majority. And we can begin to get that type of thinking into our minds. Then we can begin to walk in greater and greater freedom, knowing that God has an abundance for us. As I think of Jonathan, though, I, I ask myself this week who he reminds me of. And as I was thinking of him, I, Jonathan reminds me of Jesus. He reminds me of Jesus because Jesus also had a mission from God and he pressed into that mission and he trusted God and he shook the world. When Jonathan uh, won this battle, it says that the earth literally shook. God actually shook the earth when his kingdom descended into that battlefield and released his power so that they won that battle. And, and for you and I, as we look at strongholds in our own lives, uh, we need to recognize that we want to be free because we want to live in freedom. That's what God's called us to. He's called you to live in freedom, not under fear and anxiety, not in bitterness or anger or resentment or with a closed heart. He's called you to live in freedom. So we, we break these strongholds so we can live in freedom. But we want our children to live in freedom too. You know, some of us here are old enough to have children. Some of us don't have children yet. But it, we want our children, we want the next generation to live in freedom. And if I don't live in freedom, if I don't deal with the strongholds in my life, how can I pass freedom on to my own children or, or to the next generation that's coming up? We want to be able to offer freedom to people that come through the doors of this church and people that we encounter in our everyday lives. And so it's important that we understand uh, how to become free. Jesus had a clear mission, and we have to engage with the mission of Jesus if we're going to be free. If we're going to be free, we have to take up Jesus' mission because his mission is our mission. And here's how Jesus described it in Luke 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. So Jesus carried out his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Key word there throughout is the word freedom. 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 The year of the Lord's favor was the year they call the year of Jubilee. Every 49 years in uh, the Old Testament era, every 49 years, all debts were wiped out. If you took out a loan in the 43rd year, in six years, that loan would be wiped out. If you had uh, leased property to someone, at the end of 49 years, that property came back to you. 
And so it was a year of freedom. And we today live in that year of freedom. Since Jesus came, we live in this, this age of freedom. And freedom is the key operative word there. But Jesus, um, he declared that, then he went out and did it. And then at the end of his life, after he had died on the cross, after he had been resurrected, right before he went back to the Father, here's what he said to the apostles in John 20. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the mission. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you. He gave that word to his apostles. And then he told his apostles that everything he had taught them, they were to pass on to us. And so this commission comes down to you and to me today. And so he starts, he gives us this commission, the same as his commission, to free people, to be free and to free others. He says, starts it off with peace. You know, we need to be walking in God's peace. And then he ends that verse with the Holy Spirit. We, we've got to have the Holy Spirit's power. So God's called us, like Jonathan, to destroy strongholds. And the, the degree to which we do that the degree to which we free others, the degree to which we are effective in fulfilling the mission Jesus has given us, it depends on how much confidence we have in the provision of God. Jonathan believed that there was an abundance. There was more than enough. There was more than enough. There was more than enough time. There was more than enough energy. There was more than enough power. There was more than enough men. He only had two. Two, more than enough, because one person plus God equals a majority. More than enough. More than enough resources. But in our culture, there's this mentality that there's not enough. That we struggle, that there's never enough. That, that if, if we have what we might have considered enough a year ago, today then that's not enough because we just simply want more. This idea that there's never enough leads us so easily into a mindset that uh, is never satisfied. We're just ra- just, we just keep ratcheting up uh, the, the, the minimal that we need. And we keep thinking, oh, well, I, I hit this. Well, now this is what enough is. I need more. And so we live under this, under this pressure of fear that there will never be enough. And particularly when it comes to uh, provision in our lives, to money, food, clothing, shelter. We, we just have this cultural mentality that there is never enough. That the solution to fear over the future is what? It's get more get more. Hold on to what you get. Don't release it. Don't let go of it. Hold on to it. Pull it into yourself as closely as you can so you don't lose it and you will be free. You won't be afraid of the future then because you have. But the simple truth is as we look inward and as we draw more and more to ourselves, we just become more and more fretful. Actually, you have more to lose. You have more to lose and it makes us worry more because the issue is not how much we have. The issue is whether or not we trust in God that he has an abundance and that he is willing and that he joyfully releases that abundance into our lives. 
Now there's a verse in uh, Luke where Jesus said this. He said, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He's chosen gladly to give you not only kingdom authority and power, but also kingdom provision to do everything he wants you to do. It's kind of like he gives you the keys to the car. He fills up the gas tank and he gives you uh, food money for the trip. All right. He's glad to do that. So we don't have to be afraid. You know, fear can come in on a a couple different levels. You know, you get your dad's car. Uh, I think of like maybe uh, having my wife's father's car, my father-in-law's car and driving it. I kind of remember the first time I drove it and how fearful I was because I didn't want to scratch it. I didn't want to have a stone pop up and hit it or have something go wrong. You know, but he gave it joyfully. He filled the gas tank up. I didn't need to be afraid, but we're afraid. We're fearful of the authority God gives us. We're fearful that we won't use it the right way or that we will step out to use his authority and it won't be there anymore for us and we'll look foolish. But Jesus says here, God's delights in giving us the provision of the kingdom. He delights in that. You know, the Bible says that God's searching the whole earth constantly. He's looking, searching the whole earth to find people who are willing to take risks for him. So that he can show himself mighty on their behalf. That's what the Bible says. So that he can show his might on their behalf. So God delights in that. He wants to provide. And so the question, when we come down to this whole idea of scarcity and the prevailing attitude in our culture. The question is not, do we have enough? The question is, what does God want us to do? When you have an abundance mindset, when, when we have a mindset that says there's always enough, there's more than enough, then the question is not, well, do we have enough? But the question is, what does God want us to do? God wants to take that hill. Okay, there are only two of us, and I'm seeing at least a dozen heads look over the edge of that hill at us, and we have to crawl up the side, and they're going to be throwing stones at us as we do that, and oh boy, I don't think we can do it. No, the only question for Jonathan was, is that what you want to, that, that, that's where you want us to go? That's the stronghold you want us to take out? Okay, God, we're doing it. We're doing it. And when you and I really begin to grasp this idea that God delights, he gets joy out of releasing his kingdom to us. Kingdom power and kingdom provision, he gets joy out of that. Then the only question that's going to come out is, what's God want us to do? What's God, what God want? That, that's an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset. Scarcity mindset, very first question is, do you have the money to do that? Can you afford that? Do you have enough people to do that? Do you have enough strength to do that? Now, either mindset, I said this last week and I want to reaffirm this right now, either mindset has to balance the checkbook, okay? We all know that. Whether you have an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset, you balance the checkbook, And uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, said that he wanted people that could heal the sick, cast out demons, and balance a checkbook. So you're going to have to balance the checkbook. But the difference between the scarcity mindset and the abundance mindset 
is the questions that we ask first. It is the, le- the, the level of anxiety that we bring to the whole thing. And when the scarcity mindset looks at the checkbook, it's very likely going to say, oh, there's not enough money to do that. Can't do that. Not enough money. When the abundance mindset looks at the checkbook and it sees that maybe the bottom line isn't what it needs to be, the abundance mindset says, well, we really, are we sure God wants us to do this? You know, let's take a step back and let's, yeah, God really wants us to do this. He really wants us to do this. That I wonder how he's going to provide. You know, God provide. We're trusting you to provide because we're, we're going to forge ahead. We're going to trust you with this. An abundance mindset considers all the details and everything, but it forges ahead saying, God, we're sure you're leading us into this. We're going to go for it. And doesn't that sound like a whole lot more fun life than a life that is constantly worried about, is there enough? Doesn't it? I mean, which way would you rather live where you're constantly, the question is always, is there enough? Is there enough? Or the question is, wow, what's God want me to do next? Uh, I'm committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. What does he want me to do next? What's he calling me to do next? Because he'll provide for whatever he leads us to do. There's an illustration of scarcity in the Old Testament. This king named Amaziah, uh, this is a period of history where the... um, the nation of Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom took the name Judah. And so the king of Judah uh, is, is being threatened by the king of Moab. And he has to go out and defend his nation against the king of Moab. So he gathers all of his troops and counts them. And he decides he doesn't have enough. And so he hires troops from the northern tribe of Israel. Now, the problem was that northern tribe was living in idolatry. They were not honoring God. And, and it, was, uh, it was just obvious that Amaziah was hiring a pagan army to come and to help his army to go into a battle that God was leading him into. So a prophet from God comes to Amaziah and basically says to him, what do you think you're doing? Don't you know? You know you're putting your trust in these brothers of ours, but they're living as pagans right now. They're not honoring God. And God wants to say to you, take all those troops out into the battle, but you're still going to lose. Don't you know that God can give you victory with the number of troops you have already? And so Amaziah gets that message, but he's still worried about the money. And so here's what he says. Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents of silver? which I've given to the troops of Israel. And the man of God answered, the Lord has much more to give you than this. Okay, you see what's happened. Amaziah, first of all, out of fear of not having enough, hires these extra troops. And then when he finds out that was a mistake and he needs to send them away, he's thinking, well, they're not going to give me my money back. And he's thinking, I'm going to... I'm going to lose all this money. And so what does, what does God say to him? He's saying to him, listen, don't worry about the money. I've got plenty. You made a mistake. You blew it. You screwed up. You invested wrong. You put your money in the wrong place and you lost that money. Well, let's get a fresh start going here. Right now, God is saying to Amaziah, you and I can have a fresh start and I still have 
all the provision you need to accomplish everything I want you to accomplish. You know, for one thing, for any of us who in recent years may have lost money or may have made an investment that we um, uh, didn't turn out the way we wanted to, we, we had hoped it would, we can be confident that God is bigger than that. That God provides for us in spite of loss. That God provides for us. And there's a fresh start. But this is also uh, just an illustration of how easy it is for us to develop that scarcity mindset and to live in fear. But God doesn't want us to live in fear. God has not given us fear. Fear doesn't come from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, power, love, sound mind. Fear doesn't come from God. We need to recognize that God does not give us, as his children, a spirit of fear. So if I'm fearing, if I'm afraid, I need to recognize this is not from my Father in heaven. And and it's not part of who he has made me to be as a child of God. As a freeborn son, as a freeborn daughter of God, I don't have to live in this fear. And so I can reject the fear. I can say no to the fear. It's not from God. Because what fear does is fear messes up our ability to tie into the power of God. It diminishes our strength. When when we're afraid, we're not tying into the power of God. When we're afraid, it makes it impossible for us to truly love other people. Because fear is inward. Fear draws. Fear tries to control and protect and hang on to. And love is the opposite of that. Love opens up. And love says, you know what? I'm going to let God take care of me. And I'm going to focus on, on, on loving and serving you with open arms. And there's risk involved in that. And so fear keeps us from taking the risk of love. Fear messes up our ability to think clearly even. It, it takes away from us a sound mind. But God's given us power, love, and sound minds. And as children of God, we can walk in that. We can say no to the fear and walk in the power, love, and sound mind. Philippians 4.19 uh, Apostle Paul there writing to the Philippians who had given sacrificially to uh, support uh, his ministry. And he says to them earlier, he says, I'm really rejoicing that you gave to me. But he says, the big deal is not that you gave to me. The big deal is that you gave. That's what he says to them. He says, I'm, I'm more, more excited about what this does for you in your lives in your church body's life, the fact that you gave sacrificially. I'm more excited about that than I am about even receiving the gift that you've sent to me. And then he goes on to say, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Just great confidence. God's going to provide. There's more than enough. There's an abundance. And Jesus said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things, food, clothing, shelter, all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we want to be in this abundance mindset. Um, uh, We want to be in an abundance mindset. 
we, we want the first question to be, does God want us to do this? What's God calling us to do as individuals and as a church body? And then we do, we, we look at the checkbook, we balance the checkbook, but the first question and the leaning in is, what's God want us to do? What's he calling us to do? Now, the thing that, um, uh, that we face is that in our culture, there is this scarcity mentality. It's everywhere. We, we, it's almost impossible for us to avoid encountering it and absorbing some of it. Uh, and, but we can be free. You can be free as individuals. And as a church body, we need to be freed from this thinking of a scarcity mentality. I think there's, uh, there has developed, a, uh, for, for us, kind of at the core of the whole thing, there has been this idea of, well, is there enough? And, and that's become almost a primary question, more, more so than the question, what's God want us to do? And we need to flip that. And we're in the process and have been for the last couple of months of, of flipping that around so that as a church, we deal with the stronghold of scarcity. And just as we need to do in our individual lives, we need to do that corporately as a church body. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I've been planning on talking on about giving these couple of weeks. And so a few weeks ago, my plan was to talk about giving and to try to persuade, encourage, give opportunities for everyone here to give more to the budget. And so I, when, we, when I saw how the money came in unexpectedly and unsolicited to fund the um, young adult ministry, which is just an exciting new thing God's doing here, I looked at that and I thought, well, why don't we just come before the church body, talk about giving, and then say, okay, now we want to fund other ministries too. You know, for instance, the youth ministry. Um, they, they asked for an operating budget of $4,500 for the year. Okay, that's what they asked for. We looked at the budget and we said, can't give you that. We can only give you 1200 So my plan was to come and to say, well, why don't we all just give extra above and beyond our normal giving to give to that, to fund that. And let's do that for children's ministry. And let's do that for the volunteer ministry and other ministries. And so um, I was thinking, wow, that'd be a cool way to kind of uh, ramp up the budget some. And then the Lord revealed to me that uh, really we need, to, we need to focus on this issue of a scarcity mentality more than anything else. And um, that we need to break that. And that the way to break that is to identify it, which we're doing last week and this week, just identifying it. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with just identifying it and just, I mean, that's part of spiritual growth uh, for, for any individual, for any church body. We're recognizing uh, scarcity mentality. We're saying no to it. We're rejecting it. And we're corporately all hearing that and going to do that corporately together. But... As well, what God put in my heart was what we need to do to really break it as individuals, as families, and also as a church body is to give extravagantly to some ministry or ministries that bring, that really have no bearing on our church body. So it's not like we're going to say, well, we're doing this, but we're going to get more people to come here this way. It's not like that. Or we're going to get more, more money into our church budget this way. Well, does that make sense? God spoke to me and said, we need to give significantly and give it away. Just outside ourselves. And that through that, there's going to be a freedom that will come. A freedom in many of our lives 
to, to be freed, to see this scarcity mentality broken. And in our church body, to see that broken. So there's going to be a, a, a new outpouring of God's presence. And just like Jonathan, when, when they took that action and broke that stronghold, the presence of God came over the whole battlefield. There's, we're going to see a new presence of God invade this church body's life. We're going to see new displays of God's power, new displays of his intimacy, new, new, new understanding of what the manifest presence of God means and, and the joy of being in God's presence, new freedom for people who come here. And so as we prayed about it, and I've interacted with staff and with others about you know, what should be our next steps, uh, there are three ministries that we want to give to between now and Easter. And one of them will be a local ministry here in the city of Cincinnati, not, not out here in Colerain, but in the city of Cincinnati that deals with addictions and helps to free people from addictions and talked about how heroin addiction is such an epidemic today. And, and we, we want to do something that, that, uh, that, that, that battles against that stronghold in our culture. Our, our desire is to give $10,000 to, to that ministry. We'll tell you more about it in a couple of weeks. Okay, that's good. Yeah. The second one is a ministry in India that many of you are familiar with. Pastor Roy, who's been here several times, he, he prayed in one of our services a few weeks ago uh, for us, a godly man uh, who frees young women from lives of just abject poverty. Uh, women who are, as babies, they're cast out. They're denied by their families and they're exposed so that they either die to exposure or uh, worse, wild beasts, or, or maybe picked up and taken in, into um, slavery or prostitution or something like that. He, he collects these babies and he has a place to rear them. He brings them up and sends them to college. And it's, it's a really exciting ministry. Yeah. And I believe God's calling us to give $10,000 to that ministry also, which will just be a great blessing to them. There's a third ministry. It's called um, Destiny Rescue, which uh, we have contact with. And um, some of our staff... Um, uh, one of the new staff members, Luke Hazelmeyer, has worked with them in the past. What they do is they purchase, in effect, children back from the sex trade, uh, the sex slavery trade. And uh, for somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000, they have calculated the best they can, they can go in and bring one child out and get them established in a new life. And so... Our goal with that is to free 30 children. And, yeah. Um, total of this is roughly $80,000. And uh, I think we can do that. I think above and beyond our normal giving to the church, we can do that. And uh, what we're going to be asking, and we'll be explaining this more, is that we all pray. And we pray, what does God want me to do? How can I, what can I sacrifice um, you know, I mentioned the large screen TV last week or the, the lattes that I buy every day. I can give those up for a month or two months or three months. Or maybe I'll buy one a week instead of 
there are ways that we can sacrifice. This, this is not intended to be a fundraiser. So it's not like we want to go out and pound on doors, on our neighbor's doors and say, help out with this. No, this is about us as a church body giving sacrificially beyond what we think we can do, beyond what's comfortable, beyond what maybe even makes sense in some, in some respects. But by doing this, uh, we're going we're gonna to break this stronghold. There are going to be people. They're going to be freed. As, as, you, as you pray through this and you talk to your spouse if you're married and you guys agree and, and you do something sacrificially, as, for, as you're writing the check for many of us, as you're writing the check, you're, you're going to just feel something just snap inside. It's going to be like there are bonds inside that are breaking and you're going to enter into a new era of freedom and we're going to see God work in a powerful way here. Um, as we move ahead in our church's life. Now, we're just going to call this freedom or the freedom project, either one. If you want to give to it, you can write a check and put it in the envelope. But really, I, I wasn't, I, it wasn't my intent to stir people to give today. In fact, we don't want to stir anyone to give. We want, I want to stir everyone to go to God and take some time and say, God, what do you want me to give? How can I give? What can I deny myself that I can give to this? And because we want this to be a, a whole body thing, we're not, we're not like, we, we don't want to have giving to, to individual funds. We want to have, we're just going to give to the fund. And, and that's a unifying thing for us. And it makes it more about us learning to give and to give sacrificially to free others than it does me being moved by one of these causes that I find the most moving. And so um, this is something that uh, we're going we're gonna to share about Destiny Rescue next week and give you information on the other organizations. And we'll talk about giving then and give you some suggestions on how to think about this. Uh, we're going to run this up through Easter, so we still have, we have time, and, and we want you to think and to pray about this and to do this prayerfully and joyfully. Now, there's a verse in um, 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says this to another group of people that gave sacrificially. They gave, they gave out of poverty, he says, out of your extreme poverty, he says to these Corinthians, out of your extreme poverty, you gave sacrificially. And, and then, isn't that exciting? Yes. It, you see, giving is not the privilege of the wealthy. Giving is, is, the, is the opportunity God gives all of us. We all get to be involved in giving. And so, this verse, he goes on and he says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. That's what we call bread. I'll have my bread. I'll have my clothing, my shelter, my food. You have all you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's seed. God gives us both bread and seed. He wants us to eat the bread and he wants us to sow the seed, to give it away. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking more about that over the upcoming weeks. Now, uh, there's some value, I think, in us as a church body declaring, making a declaration. And so we're going to do this. This is something that the church throughout history has practiced. And I'm going to invite you to be part of this. I'm going to read it first. I'll read it out loud as you follow along silently. Then we'll stand up together and um, we'll read together this declaration of freedom. All right. We believe that through Jesus Christ, 
We are set free. We reject fear and anxiety. We embrace the power, the love, and the sound mind that our Father has given us. We embrace our mission to proclaim and release the power and life of the kingdom to our families and our community, to our city, and to the nations. We believe God is a good Father. He provides all we need and more. God will provide abundantly for our needs. He will give us extra so we can share with others. We're declaring this as truth. We will give sacrificially and joyfully to destroy spiritual strongholds, to free addicts in our city, to free young women in India, to free children from lives of slavery. We are free sons and daughters of God, empowered to release Christ's freedom to others in our world. We will do this to the glory of God the Father, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's stand together. And if you can read this and mean it, read it with me. Um, we're not trying to force anybody to do anything here. But there is something powerful about us making a joint declaration like this and speaking it out loud. Something powerful that, that's going to happen in our hearts, in our church body through this, I believe. Let's start. We believe that through Jesus Christ, we are set free. We reject fear and anxiety. We embrace the power, the love, and the sound mind that our Father has given us. We embrace our mission to proclaim and release the power and the life of the kingdom to our families and our community, to our city and to the nations. We believe God is a good Father. He provides all we need and more. God will provide abundantly for our needs. He will give us extra so we can share with others. We will give sacrificially and joyfully to destroy spiritual strongholds, to free addicts in our city, to free young women in India, to free children from lives of slavery. We are free sons and daughters of God, empowered to release God's freedom to others in our world. We will do this to the glory of God the Father, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Yeah. Woohoo. Father, we thank you that um, you are good. We want to just we just want to open our hearts to you now and proclaim your goodness and worship. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here. Come, release your presence here, your manifest presence. Come. Stay. 